Hey, it's Fabian here, Youth Director of Harvest Church, Greensboro, North Carolina. This podcast is for youth, 6th through 12th grade. I hope that as you listen to this podcast, that you are encouraged and have a change of heart. So take some notes and lock in. It's time to grow. to be presenting to you tonight. I'm just getting my uh, iPad up and going and talking with you guys about a really fun topic. Fabian just thought, you know, this would be the perfect topic for me. It's so exciting, so much fun. It's about dealing with difficult people. Does that sound like fun? Not at all. Not at all. But we're going to actually have some great conversations. So I'm going to go ahead and just kick this off. Why I think he may have selected me. And in my background, I've had plenty of opportunities with difficult people. Go back with me in time. Tenth grade year. Long time ago. A very long time ago. I'm in high school. Now, I'm going to go back and just let you guys know. Um, Well, I'll get to that point. So I'm in tenth grade. I walk into this classroom. Um, Coach Turner was the one who taught this class. I'm excited about it. I am the one, I'm that kid who's going to study. I'm that kid that was concerned about my GPA. That was me. I walk into the classroom. The moment I walk through the door, because, you know, you have different classes. This is day one. I walk into this classroom, and he looks at me and gives me a death stare. And I kind of just go, what, what? And so then I start playing back in my mind. I go back through my childhood at this moment, and I begin to think. Well, now, when I was a little kid in kindergarten, I'm the youngest of eight. I have six brothers, one sister. She's seven years older than me, so I was always too little, and she loved me, but she wasn't going to hang out with me. That just wasn't getting ready to happen. Too, too much of an age gap. So my brothers were the one who groomed me for school. And what they said to me, sis, you're getting ready to go to kindergarten. Make sure, anybody who goes to kindergarten, you get a reputation for yourself, so make sure you end up in the principal's office by the time you come home. I did what they said. That required a little slight fighting you know, some things that you shouldn't be doing. But I ended up in the principal's office, and they said, good job, sis. You got a reputation now. No one's going to mess with you. Well, little did they know, they created a little monster because I was the little girl with red hair, really tiny, really petite, really dressed real prissy, but I would fight you like a boy. That was me, okay? So kindergarten, I was into fighting. First grade, I was into fighting. Second grade, I was into fighting. I know you can't believe this, Ellie, but I was into fighting. Third grade, I was into fighting. And I'd gotten into so many fights by this point, had written a thousand sentences by this point, and I finally had a transformation of my life and said, I'm giving it up. I'm hanging up my boxing gloves. I'm not fighting anymore. I did. I gave it up. So then we go to our next level of school, and then when I went to school, they had a third, fourth, and fifth grade school. That was the only grades in the entire school. It was an amazing three years, except I had a teacher who did not like me. Why? Because I hung up with the kids who always caused trouble. They were were my friends. So if they got in trouble, whether I did anything or not, I got in trouble. I was labeled. I was okay with that. I go into middle school, and I decide, you know what? I'm really getting away from this life. I put my head to the ground, and I decided that at this point, I'm going to focus more on academics, and I did. Well, except for a math class, ninth grade, no, eighth grade year. I did horribly in math, Claire. I didn't know how to do math. 
I was failing. So what did I do? I sat in the back of the room and goofed off with the kids and had hung out with the cut-ups. And so yet again, I found myself in trouble. And in middle school, in that one class, the teacher decides to surprise me. She says, hey, you're getting ready to go to high school next year. I'm putting you in advanced math. And I went, what? I made D's all year, sometimes F's. How in the world are you going to put me in advanced math class? I'm not even prepared for this. She did it. So I go into high school. It's my ninth grade year, and I decide, you know what? I'm either going to sink or swim. I go into the ninth grade. I am nervous. I am terrified. Everyone is excited for high school. I do not want to go, but yet I do. I go in. I decided, well, I see smart kids sitting in the front. I sit in the front. Lo and behold, I started passing. I became a kid who went from F's to that my lowest grade was on average a 95, 96, 97, 98, 100. It was amazing. I'm like, okay, this is cool. So when I get to my 10th grade year, I'm that kid that's very high with a GPA. I'm sitting in the front of the room, and I'm not bothering anybody. So when I walk into this classroom with Coach Turner, and he looks at me and he gives me a deaf stare, and he follows me all the way to my seat. So normally I would sit in the front. But when a teacher is giving you a deaf stare, I went way to the back. I eased down. I have friends. I was slightly, can't say I was extremely popular, but I, I have friends. So I would speak to someone, and he'd look at me, and I, so I'd go with me, but I'm not supposed to talk. I couldn't figure out why this man had it out for me. Passing out papers, he threw mine. I'm like, what, what in the world is going on? Anything I did, he was just really riding me. I didn't say anything to my parents. I just said, well, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to get through this class. So one day, everyone's walking out. He says, come here. Okay, so I come up to this desk, and he's like, I need to talk to you. Okay, what did I do? And he's like, listen, what you're not going to do in this classroom is you're not going to be disruptive. You're not going to be disrespective. You're not going to be back here running your mouth. You're not going to be doing this. You're not in charge of this classroom. And I'm literally just standing there going, what in the world did I do? He said, because you know what? You are not your sister. Let me tell you about my sister. I looked just like her. We were mistaken often. What I didn't know was that seven years prior to me, she had this gentleman, Mr. Coach Turner. She took pleasure in torturing this man. It was her pride and joy to sit in that classroom and to do the opposite of everything he said. She purposely set out to fail every assignment that he gave her, and she was brilliant. He would yell at her. He would fuss at her. She was, he would scream at her, and she had a partner. His name was Cam. And they just took pleasure. And I think the man had teacher PTSD. <laughs> so then imagine when I walked through the door and I looked just like her. I'm identical to her. So much so that when other guys who liked her would see me, they'd be like, hey. And I'd go, who are you? Like, what? And they would go like, you are just mean. Sometimes you're nice and sometimes you're mean. And she'd start laughing. She'd go, you, you saw my sister and you didn't even know it. She used that to her advantage sometimes. It was not really pleasant having that lifestyle. But we looked that much alike. What I found out was this teacher assumed because of what I looked like, who I was related to, that I was going to be just like my sister. And he had it out for me. 
I had to work very hard to prove to him I was opposite. And what was hilarious is one day he called me up and he said, I, I, I need to apologize. <laughs> I said, well, for what? He said, you're nothing like her. And he kind of started rocking. And he's going, you're nothing like her. You're nothing like her. I was wrong. And I just backed away slowly. <laughs> what in the world? She ended up becoming a principal. It was hilarious. He saw her one day, years later. He said, what you doing now? She said, I'm a principal. He said, oh, my God, how in the world did that ever happen? Who allowed that? So it takes her to tell you her stories. But that's just a little bit of what I wanted to share with you. Why am I leading that, leading with that story? Because tonight we're going to talk about Moses. We're going to talk about what it's like to deal with toxic people. Many of you in here are Christians. Many of you in here are choosing to say, I want to live a lifestyle that brings honor to God. I want to have a moral compass that's choosing what's right. But you're going into schools where it is all kinds of different personalities. Can I get an amen on that? From your teachers, from the kids that you hang out with, might even be in your home. There's so many different personalities that you will encounter, and you're in that age now where you're having to navigate that. Attitudes, personalities, people saying things. So we're going to take a look at this, and we're actually going to start to examine some life lessons that I have kind of just when I was reading these scriptures went, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that vividly. And some of these things I'm dealing with even right now. Okay, so you know my opening story, and the question that I want us to really examine is, if I'm a Christian, will I face difficult people? Will I have all the answers? I don't know. But there's some things that you can do. There's some things that you can grab a hold of, and I want you guys to begin to just begin to process, and there might be a situation someone's in here facing. And I'm going to give you some things that I had to do but I want us to take a look at the word and just start to look at what, what types of difficult people are we facing? What do we encounter? And then what does Moses have to do with this? Well, I love that I saw you guys doing a review of Bible study. That was really cool. So I'm going to give you really quick and briefly the background to Brother Moses. Like me, Bros Moses, now me, I happened to walk into that classroom because of who my family was. I was judged, right? Moses was born a Hebrew. And because of who his family was, he was sentenced to die. See, the Pharaoh at that time decided that it was a good idea to limit the growth of the children of Israel. The Pharaoh at that time thought it was really a smart idea and that it would be good to tell mothers to take your baby and drown them into a river. The firstborn. That's evil. That's terrorist type of mentality. But Pharaohs at that point were considered gods. Who was going to challenge him? And so that's what they had to do. However, Moses' mother, she was a Levite. And she said, there's something special about this child. So she took the baby to the Nile, but she put her baby in a basket. And as she was putting her baby in the basket, what was very interesting is this baby is going down this Nile, and who happens to be out there? 
Pharaoh's daughter. The very man who issued the decree that he wanted the firstborns to be killed, his daughter sees a baby in the basket. Now, to give, me you, give you an understanding of how powerful this is, I'm going to give you an analogy in just a second. She sees this baby, and she goes, oh, I think I'll keep him. I want to make him my son. He's Hebrew. Any Carolina fans in here? Any Carolina Tar Heel fans? Be bold. It's okay. I'm one. Yes. Any Duke fans in here? Yeah. Corey, put your hand down. It's so embarrassing to the family. Put your hand down. Okay. All right. You see the tar- you see the rivalry there? So my husband is Duke. I'm Carolina. We didn't know that before we got married. That was a question I, I suggest you guys ask that. But anyway, seriously, that was that's a whole nother sermon. Imagine if you know the rivalry between Carolina and Duke, you know that's a huge rivalry, right? It's just the two don't mix, it's oil and water. So imagine if you had two Carolina parents, mother and father, houses of Carolina blue, Carolina blue decor all over. They open the door and they open the door and they see a basket and it's a baby in a Duke outfit. And they stop and go, oh, I think I'll raise this baby. And the baby's name is even Duke. They named the baby Duke. It would not be something that most Carolina parents would go, yeah, I think I can handle that. It's very odd. So to think that Pharaoh's daughter was willing to say, I want to raise this baby, and then brought this Hebrew baby into her home and raised them as an Egyptian. Now, imagine, the Bible story doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell you this, but I can imagine that Pharaoh would have conversations around this baby about how he doesn't like the Hebrews. And the conversations that probably came out about the people that this baby represented. But yet Moses was raised in that, right? Moses had the best of the best. He was at the top. He was in Pharaoh's house. He was the palace. He was famous. Okay, so that's where I'm summarizing that to let you know where we are. So then if we go to the Bible and we go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 in the NIV, it says, now Moses, he's grown up. And it says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. Hmm. Now, he should have been working like them, but he was in Pharaoh's house, right? So he's not doing it, but he's watching it. So he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He identifies with them. He knows that's his family. So looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Life lesson number one. If you are in a situation and you find yourself having to look this way and that way before you do something, you know you're in the wrong, right? Right? You already know you are not handling this situation in the way God would want you to handle it. Moses was chosen by God to be a deliverer for the people, to represent, to be the rescuer. But in that moment, he wasn't with the blessing of God. He looked this way and he looked that way. So let me bring it to you for, for, your, for us to understand. I'm only just, you know, I know they're getting ready to go in there still. I'm just here, you know, to watch out and make sure they don't get caught. 
Because you know that's what a good Christian friend would do. You're looking this way, that way. You know what? I, I know, I know I shouldn't go to that party. I'm really not, you know, I'm just going to make sure you're okay. And, and so that's why I'm not going to tell my parents. And that's why I'm not going to tell anybody. And that's why I really don't want anybody to know what I'm doing because, you know, I'm just there for you. You know, we're, we're keeping all this where we're just looking this way and that way and no one else is watching. I promise you, anytime you find yourself in that setting, which is usually me at night when I'm eating cookies and no one is around. I don't need to testify, though, any more than that. Okay. There was something wrong, so we're going to keep going. So that first life lesson is what you do in the dark will come to light. That's even for you. So, yeah, will you face difficult people? Yeah, you're going to face yourself first, and you're going to have to examine yourself. And something inside of you, as a, when you're walking as a Christian, when you're trying to figure this thing out, you've got to make a decision. I'm not going to choose to look this way and that way and see if no one else is looking so I can do something wrong. I've got to do what is right even when no one else is looking. I have to choose what is right. So in that moment, he did that. He killed them. And so then the next day he goes out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, he said, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing us as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known. What you do in the dark will come to light. What you do in the dark will come to light. And let me give you an inside tip. You guys know I'm a parent. There have been times where things have happened, and my kids never told me. Oh, the Spirit did. And I'm trying to figure out, why do I have this thought? What? They did what? What you do in the dark can come to light. Don't be scared, Corey. It's okay. <laughs> I said kids. I didn't say you. All right. <laughs> Let's keep going. So as we're looking at that, at that first thought, he then flees, and he takes off, and he's like, if Pharaoh knows about this, I'm doomed. And sure enough, when Pharaoh heard of this in, in verse 15, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to go live on the opposite side of life now. He's going out in the wilderness. He's going out in Midian, and that's where he goes, and he sits down by a well. And so here's the next life lesson I want you guys to understand. He had to leave that environment. Had he stayed, it would have killed him, right? He did something. He made a mistake. It was horrible. He had to go. Now his life was in danger. He had to flee. So he does, and now he finds himself in this environment where he was like the, the, the famous, and he was well-known, and, and he was uh, considered in Pharaoh's household, and he was popular, and people knew him. But now, all of a sudden, he finds himself in an isolated place. And he's at this well, and these ladies come up. And when they come up, they need water. And the shepherds there are, have taken joy and pride in bothering them and causing them to run off and not be able to get the things done. And he steps up, and he helps them. He still has that same desire to help. But this time when he helped, and when you look at the scriptures, what was really neat, it says, it's, uh, 
Verse 16, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water the father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue. And what you'll notice, it didn't say he looked this way or that. It said he got up, he came to their rescue, and this time he wasn't concerned if he was out of order. He was doing the right thing. And as a result, because he did that right thing and he rescued them, he ended up being with that family. He married one of the daughters, and so we could say, Oh, that's the end of the story, but it's not. So now we begin to see what is really interesting, a strong contrast. You have Moses in the beginning in the Pharaoh's house, and now you see him here at a well with daughters whose father is a shepherd, and now he becomes a shepherd, and now he's not known anymore. He's hidden. So the next life lesson that I want you guys to know, because it goes down, if we could continue to read, it says to us in verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. Moses was gone for years at this point. The king that he fled from died. Here's my second lesson to you. Something that could have killed you, something that could take you out, something that could destroy you. And I don't necessarily mean kill as in take your life, but something that can destroy you or take you off a path that or put you on a path that you don't want to be on. There will be times you may have to run and get away from that and never face that again. That's a second life lesson. There will be time. There may be times where God will have you to leave a situation and never face it again you have to be willing to do that that might cause you to have yourself be in another situation in another lifestyle in another place that you never thought you would be but it's better for you to do that than to stay and be destroyed does that make sense everyone's going to face that at some point that choice i have had to do that many times it's not easy but sometimes you'll just have to leave and get away. So here we go. Here's the next thing that we're going to. So we get through that period, and then all of a sudden, you know, the most famous part of Moses' story, right, is the burning bush. We know that story, most, most part. I can't go into every detail. so much to cover in here. So just this quick summary of that. The burning bush, Moses is out there minding his business, feeding the shepherds. I mean, the shepherds taking care of the flock. And then there's a bush that looks like it's burning, and, but it's not burning. It's not on fire, but it is on fire. And so he's curious. Who wouldn't be? Technically, I wouldn't have been. I would have ran. But he goes up to it. He's talking, and then God it talks to him, and God begins to tell him who he is. And God is calling him out at that moment, right? Moses immediately is like, I can't do this. And God is like, no, you're going to go tell Pharaoh. So now God has allowed him to stay away of Pharaoh that was going to kill him. But now God is sending him back. Very interesting. See, what happens with the things of God is when you find yourself in a position like he was in the beginning where he was famous and he had everything in, in the power. And I'm sure he was quite arrogant as well. He was raised by Egyptians. They were very arrogant people. He's watching his people work. He's a man of power. He's a man of, of distinction. So he kills these guys, and he does all of this because of within his own accord. But he, I would assume that he had a sense of airiness about him. Like, I can do this until he realized what he had done. And then he realized, no, you're still a Hebrew. And that humbled him, and he sent him back into the wilderness, and it sent him there to be there. But I'm sure over those 40 years, he learned some life lessons and had plenty of time to reflect of what he should have done instead of what he did. So at this point, what we find with Moses and what we are encountering is that God is saying, it's time now, son. 
And usually some of you are like, well, when is God going to use me? I don't know when he's necessarily going to use me, but most of the time you're not looking for it. Most of the time it's the, the moment when you're least expecting it. You're not even, you're not even uh, looking for that. You're not, your eye is not on that. You're somewhere else. You're seeking God. You're trying to do something right. And all of a sudden God said, yep, now it's your time. It's time for you to go. So that's what happened to Moses. And Moses, of course, had his excuses. So he ends up having his brother because he has a speech impediment. His brother goes with him. He said he can be your mouthpiece. They have to go and speak to Pharaoh. Now, let's get to Mr. Pharaoh. There are so many chapters on that. I cannot spend the time. I don't have that kind of time to cover Pharaoh. But I do want to use Pharaoh as an example. So I'm going to summarize that up really quick for you. Mr. Pharaoh represents the type of people I know you're going to encounter. I know by the spirit you are encountering these people or a person. could be a group. These are the people who know right, but they choose wrong. Anybody know people like that? If you haven't met them yet, I don't know where you're hiding. If you are in a public school setting, a private school setting, Walmart, I don't care where you are, here. There are people who know to do right, but they continuously choose wrong. You ever met them? Oh, and if they're your friend, that's a tough person. Gosh, that's tough. No matter what choices come before them, they keep choosing the wrong thing over and over. And many times, many of you in this room may end up being their designated counselor. Because they know and they're watching your life and they're seeing that you're making right choices or you're trying to. It's not that we don't make mistakes. I'm not saying that to anybody in this room. Please don't think I walk out of here and don't make mistakes. Every day I've got to repent. But overall, when someone sees that you're at least trying to do right, there's always that one that's around you that no matter what, they just keep making the same dumb mistakes. So let's talk about that particular person because that's what Pharaoh represented. And that's the lesson that you're going to have to learn how you're going to navigate an individual that's like that. So typically people who don't repent, meaning they don't know how to ask forgiveness and they like choosing what's wrong, they're intentionally doing it. The first step of that in their life is they don't really acknowledge God. You might be like, you know, you, why don't you come to church with me? We, we meet on Wednesday nights. No, I don't need that. I don't go to church. Well, you, I don't do that. I'm not going there. What you, you know, Friday night we're having an overnight, overnighter. There's a party. Why would you go to the overnighter? I'm not going to that. I don't need God. And they'll try to talk you out of it, right? They'll try to convince you like you're crazy for doing that because everybody is doing this. This is going to be the event of the year. This is going to be the party of the year. Now, how many seniors do I have in here? High school seniors. Oh, yeah. High school seniors going to college. How many people want to go to college one day? All right, we got more hands up. I'm in college. I'll just give you guys this like a 10-second snippet. I'm in college. There's a party that's going on. I was in, um, I'm not going to give you guys too much information. I had fun in college, that's all I'm going to say. I was in college, and um, this particular night, the dorm is empty. Everybody is out partying. 
I went to UNCG. This dorm that I was in is, was co-ed. It's a huge dorm. But when I tell you I was the only one in there, I thought. So I'm there, and I was like, I, I want to go to that party, but I have got to study. There was no, I had no other opportunity. I had to study. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to just stay here. Man, I was kicking myself like, man, it's, it's, it's lonely in here. I'm the only one in here. And I went out my room, because um, I, like I said, it was co-ed, and I heard a noise, and I heard someone say, Tina. And I looked. I said, Xander? He was coming out of the study room. I said, what are you doing here? He's a very popular guy. The life of the party. Normally, he would be at the party, drinking, crazy, wild, got the party going. I mean, just turned up 10 degrees because when he walks in the room, everybody gets this. He was the hype guy. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm studying. I said, you're studying? He said, yeah, this is what I do. He said, I go to the parties, and I understood why he was the hype guy. He said, I go in the front door, I'm loud, I'm screaming out, I'm dancing, I'm partying, I'm getting everybody hyped, I'm having a good time. They're passing drinks, I pass a drink to another person, and he goes out the back door, gets in his car, comes over to our dorm, goes in the study room, studies. Straight A student, brilliant. He looked at me, he said, he said, sis, he said, a lot of those kids, he said, they think I'm in there partying. He said, but I can't afford to flunk out. He said, my mom and dad have worked too hard for me to come up here and party every single weekend. He said, I have got to make it. He said, and I see you in here. He said, you did the right thing. He said, we're going to make it. He said, because a lot of our friends that's with us right now, that's at that party, he said, you're not going to see them next semester. They're flunking out. And he was right. We graduated with honors top of our class. And I'll never forget that night. I know God sent him. I wasn't saved then, but I know God sent him at that moment for me to see, oh, my God. And I had no idea. So what he was doing was he was showing them, oh, yeah, and everybody thought he was there. That boy was nowhere around that party. But a lot of kids were acting like him, and he wasn't doing what they were doing. It was crazy. All kind of crazy stories like that was happening in my life. So we're going to look at the next thing. So Pharaoh. So real quick, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's that unrepentant one. You know about the ten plagues? So there he is. And I would study that. I'm like, gosh, I don't understand, like, these plagues. Like, you sent all this stuff. You sent blood for the Nile. You sent, you sent frogs. You sent um, gnats. You sent all this weird stuff. They had boils breaking out in their body. They had um, uh, locusts that would come. They had hail that just came down on the sky and destroyed things. Like, what is going on? But if you study it, all of that during that day and time, they worshiped those things. They worship the Nile. They worship frogs. They worship stuff. And God said, you know what? There's no God before me. He used that to make them be embarrassed. And every time he would embarrass Pharaoh, Pharaoh would just go, well, okay, I'm going to let your people go. Because Moses said, God just told me to tell you, you need to let his people go and worship. Pharaoh's like, nah, nah. He tried to make things harder. He tried to make it tough. And what you're going to realize, people who don't have a forgiving heart, there's going to be stages that you see in their life. First, they're not going to recognize God. They're going to think they don't need it. They're going to think that you're going to need them more than that you need God. That doesn't work. Then what they'll do is that they'll try to bargain with God. They'll see that there's something on your life, and so then they'll try to get you to be like, hey, hey, you know, can you pray for me? And if I just get out of this one thing, you know, if I get out of this, God, I ain't going to do it no more. You ever heard those people pray like that? If I, if I don't, if you help me, God, with this, I promise you I'll never do that again. Some of you ain't prayed that. 
Uh-oh, I have. I've prayed that lots of times. Not the perfect prayer. But see, these people don't really mean it. They don't mean it. They're just saying it to get out of something. And then what begins to happen, if you watch over time, if that person keeps doing wrong, their heart gets harder and harder. And what we mean by that is pretty soon they don't have a choice but to choose wrong. People will start separating from them. People will start leaving them. Everything they value will start disappearing from them, and they'll actually end up in darkness. We have some family members who are not here anymore because they chose wrong to the point where it was no turning back. In that situation, what I want to tell you this is you've got to be careful and you've got to monitor who you are with. And is this person trying to change or is this person trying to change you? Is this person continuously doing the wrong thing, 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 trying to say the right thing, but still doing the wrong thing? And are you connected to that person? For me, for people like that, if I don't see that you're willing to change, I refuse to stay with that person if it's going to affect my choices that I've made. You as teenagers, you as whether you're middle school or high school, at some point you're going to have to make a decision to say, I choose right. I don't even care if it looks like the people who choose wrong are winning. I choose what's right. You have to have that as your moral compass, okay? Understand that? You guys with me? Is this helping? All right. We're going to wrap it up. Some other things that you can look at in the Bible. I don't have time to go into deep scriptures, but something else that comes out of Moses' time. He had to deal with people who complain. Raise your hand boldly if you're a complainer. <laughs> oh, look at this. And you're looking left and right. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. This generation, not this generation, this age group, when I was in your age, I complained a lot. I complained too. And what I've learned is, you're dissatisfied or annoyed with something because you haven't had enough experiences to understand the other side. So you may be in a situation where, I don't know why the teachers are making us do this. This don't make any sense. Why do they always have to say this? Why do they have to do that? And then I ask you to come work back in the back with the three and four-year-old classroom. They don't listen to the thing you say. And then you find yourself talking like a teacher. And then you stop and go, oh, that's why. They do that. Your experience is different. You ever been through a drive-thru and you complained about the service? Stole people. I don't know why they don't get this stuff done. I need my food. I can't believe they did that. They left out the straw. They forgot the napkin. I asked for ketchup. They ruined this. And then you get a job in a drive-thru. You ever had that? Have you had that experience yet? Wait till you do. Then you're the one that's on the other side. You forgot the napkins. You forgot the straws. You forgot to get the stuff out. And the people complained about you. And you're like, it's not as easy as you thought it was. You're trying your best, right? So complaining, Moses had to deal with complaints. This is something. Moses also had to deal with, and I'm going to show you the trick to, to how to handle this. So you're going to deal with people who complain. You're complaining now, but you're going to have people complaining about you. You just wait. Oh, and if you play sports, don't, don't listen to the fans. Oh, they're talking junk about you. They don't care your age. You bum, you could do better than that. You could just, and you're like, well, I'm just a kid, right? The stuff that they're saying, and I'm going to start doing better. I'm going to stop calling people bums when I'm in the stand. I am. I am. Now. <laughs> but people complain. There are people who will backstab. You ever dealt with backstabbers? 
Mm-hmm. What is a backstabber? What is a backstabber? Someone you trusted who turns their back on you and they have something to say about you, right? Whether you did something wrong or not, someone you trusted, someone you, you thought had your back, suddenly you realize they don't. You're going to deal with that definitely in high school. Oh, my God. That happens a lot. I can't give you the stories on that. It, we'd be here all day. You're going to deal with people who are jealous. You ever deal with people who are jealous over you? Just a few. Just a few. Yeah, the girls. Guys, you don't have jealousy. Girls get a lot of that. Girls get a lot of that. Guys might be the ones that's jealous of something else. They just don't show it, though. But for me, my past, I had a girl. I, she called me up. She said, I can't stand you. I was like, I don't even talk to you. What? You, well, what? I don't know why this kept happening to me. I was like, I don't even talk. What do you, why don't you like me? She said, because uh, my boyfriend talks about you all the time. So I said, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So I just asked some really serious questions. I, I'm like in 11th grade at this point. I said, have you ever seen me around your boyfriend? No. You ever seen me talk to your boyfriend? No. Do you even, is there any, any hope or anything in my body saying towards like, anything, anything that would say I would have anything to do with him? She's like, no, I'm not concerned that you like him at all. I said, then I'm not the problem. That's him. That's him. But why are you, I said, why are you mad at me? Because you're not strong enough to just leave him alone. I could not, she was very upset with me. Like, probably would have fought me if she could have had the rationality to do it. But she had nothing to base it on. Because I, I didn't even, he didn't exist to me. He was not on my radar. So when you have to deal with it, I'm like, what y'all dealing with jealousy for what? Like, that doesn't even make sense. You have things like that. So Moses had to deal with jealousy. Moses also had to deal with people who did crazy things if they felt like God was taking too long. Even if you're in church and all of a sudden you stop hanging out of church, you find yourself doing something crazy. Like, how did I get here? Moses had to deal with that. We call that the moment of the burning of the calf. They took all the jewelry and they made an idol while Moses was away. All of this stuff happened in the Bible. He had to deal with that. So the life lesson I learned from that particular piece is you got to stay connected. You got to stay in this environment. Moses also had to deal with people who sometimes just needed to be encouraged. These aren't difficult people, but these are people in this room who are trying to do things and they're making mistakes, and sometimes they need you to text them and say, you good? You, you, you good? You making it? God's with you. Stay right there. Just somebody that thinks like them, that has similar values, similar faiths, and is trying to just as well, and that will encourage them and hold their hands up and say, you know what? Dust yourself off. We're going to keep going. And then last but not least, Moses had to also know when to get help. And that's where you guys need to invite and bring some people in here. And you need to open up and talk to people you can trust so you can get help. So what's the secret? You might say, okay, Miss Tina, I got it. I hear you. These are the people that's difficult. How do you do it? Well, it's right here. What is this? Yep. It's a mirror. 
So I have to face who? I have to face him first. If I don't face him, I'm going to be a mess. And once I face him, because I know I'm getting ready to step into a situation where someone might be jealous and I had nothing to do with it. But it's a real issue because they're bringing it to my attention. And when I was in high school, I couldn't escape him because I was seeing him every day. Or I might have to step into a situation where someone, they don't even like God, they're rejecting God, and they're trying to influence my world, and they're drawing me. I got to face God. There's all kinds of things I might be dealing with. And then after I face God, then who do I face? Myself. Because then I have to evaluate, God, did I do something to cause him to be jealous? Did I do something to cause this person to think that I would want to turn my back on you? Am I looking the other way when I should not be looking the other way? Am I, am I a person that holds on to integrity when no one else is looking? Is there something in me that I need to get fixed, God? Because I need that worked out. And then once I've done those two things, then I can go to the people. And guess what? If the people are driving me nuts, guess what I'm going to do? Then I'm going to turn back and look at God again. And it just doesn't stop. So, yes, you're going to have difficult people. Yes, you're going to have tough situations. But if you use that formula... Look at God, examine yourself, face the people. You get in a situation above you, you go right back to God again. God, I need your help on this. Because I can't tell you a, a specific answer for every situation, but I can tell you if you do that, he will guide you. So if there's someone in this room right now, you would just close your eyes. And you have a situation. It could be your own personal home. It could be your parents. That's your difficult situation. It could be your best friend. It could be someone in school. It could be a teacher like what I had. I pray that you guys never go through that. That was horrible. I laugh about it now, but it was no laughing matter to be in 11th grade and, and have a teacher treat me the way that man did. I never told my parents. My father would have lost his mind had I told him that. There could be anybody, you, you, or you might be that person that is, I'm describing you complain because you're dissatisfied because you feel like somebody owes you more than what you're currently getting. I don't know what it is. But right now, with every eyes closed and with your heart's perfect, let's just pray. And we're going to ask God to minister to you right now where you are. So, God, I just thank you for the hearts that's in this room. We thank you, God, that we can face you right now at this moment, God. And we simply ask you for help. God, I thank you that you are guiding them and giving them the wisdom that they need to navigate in situations, Father, where it is toxicity around them, Father, difficult people, Father, people that are trying to pull them into situations and lifestyles that they know they should not be a part of, or people who are trying to bring them to arguments that they don't want to argue, Father, people that are also trying to convince them that walking in the truth or walking into your light or being a person of integrity is, is wrong because that's not how the world does it. I thank you, Father, right now that you are equipping them. And on the inside, Father, you are showing them directly what they need to be strong and to stay strong.